0: have shoes that light up those are cool how are y'all doing today good it's a microphone so I got a question do you know what a promise is does anyone know what a promise is no a promise is something that when they when someone says that they're going to do something and they say that they're going to do it right so like I promise that when this is done you're going to get a kinder egg at the end, right? That's a promise. Has someone ever told you something like that and then they didn't do it? Yeah? What what happened? Do you remember? No? Do y'all remember? No? I remember one time I was promised by my dad that I was going to go to the arcade in my town if I was good. And uh, I got to go, and it was great. But then I also remember my dad promising me that I was going to get to go to Disney World with him. And he would always tell me that Mickey was still trying to fix his plane (laughs) and that we couldn't go yet. Because Mickey was still working on his plane. And so I never got to go to Disney World with my dad. He didn't keep that promise to me. But you know how that made me feel? I got real sad. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, God makes a lot of promises too in the Bible. Do you know who Abraham is in the Bible? So Abraham was a guy... That believed in God and God called him and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you have a huge family. Okay? But here's the deal Abraham was really old when God made that promise. And he told his wife, Sarah, that she was going to have a baby. But guess how old Sarah was? She was like older than your grandma, she was like 90 years old. She's really old. And God said, you're going to have a baby. Do you think Sarah believed God? No. She's like, I can't have a baby. I'm a grandma. That can't happen. But guess what? One year later, she had a baby. God kept that promise to Sarah that she got to have a baby. And it was through that baby that Abraham's family grew and got super, super big. So. What I want you to know is that God keeps all of His promises to you. No matter what that promise is, God's going to keep it. And here's one promise that God gives you today. And it's John 3.16. Do you know that part of the Bible? It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. So his promise is that if you believe in him, you get to live forever with him. And that's a promise that he's going to keep. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these children. I pray that you would continue to put your truth in their heart and that you would mold them and shape them to be followers of you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Grab an egg. See, I kept my promise. (laughs) All right. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right, well, we're going to be in the book of James again today. I said last week that, uh, you know, my, my personal opinion is the best way to study the Bible is just studying whole books at one time. So we're going to be working through the book of James till we're done. And last week, we studied... The book of James, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and today we're going to be focusing mainly on verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. So let's read what the book of James has to say, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get going. Starting in verse 9 of James, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits let's pray Jesus as we continue in worship today with your word I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears and our minds to see and understand what you would have us know today. Father, we thank you that you're here and we thank you that your, your spirit is present among us. Lord, we ask that you would move within us today and help your word implant itself in our hearts and help us to be changed by it. Help us to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of it. Father, I pray that you help me preach right now and give me the words to say, and I pray that you would remove all distractions from this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we focused on verses 1 through 8, and really the main point of that passage was that the trials that you and I go through every single day are designed by God to make you more like Jesus. Right? So the, the various trials that we go through, God puts us through to develop the character within us so that we might be more like Him. And the way that we see those trials is by praying to God for wisdom and asking Him to help us see those trials correctly, seeing those trials as God moving and not just something bad that's happening. Right? And that was kind of the big picture of, of trials. And today... We're actually getting really practical with what that looks like. And um, if you look at this passage as a whole, that's what James is doing. He's giving people a big picture of how we're supposed to see our trials. And now today, he's focusing in on the trials that every single person at some time in their life is going to deal with, the trials of money, the trials of either having not enough or way too much. So we're going to see what wisdom has to say about money. And so the main point that I want us to get from today is that the godly wisdom, the wisdom that we ask for and pray for, exposes the falsehoods of earthly wisdom. It helps us see our riches and our lack thereof correctly, and it calls us then to authentic community together. All right, so because wisdom has this practical ability to change the way that you and I live. Uh, One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. Um, I really try every now and then to take an entire month and just read a chapter a day because it's just so practical for everyday life. The wisdom that you find in Proverbs um, applies to your everyday life. And James, following that, says that this wisdom from God that you and I can ask for has practical implications on how we pay, especially with money. Not just how we deal with it, but also in the trials that we might face of having either not enough or a lot. And, and, and seeing both of those as real trials that God is using to make us more like Him. So let's see what we mean. The first part is that the wisdom from God that we have asked for in verse 8, or uh, sorry, verse uh, 5, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That wisdom that we ask for exposes false worldly wisdom for what it is. So uh, let's see what I mean. If we look here at verses 9 and 10, we're told by James to let the lowly brother, that, that brother who is economically lacking, boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. So the command for both of them is to boast. And so we have to then assume that the culture and the wisdom of the world would say, no, you are not to boast but you are to believe something else about it. For the lowly, the reason that the world calls them not to boast uh, comes from different lies that have to do with money. So uh, I used to work at the Abilene Housing Authority uh, in in Abilene, obviously. And uh, it was really interesting to see how poverty works among people who have grown up in poverty. Um, It it was really shocking to me to find out that while the goal of of the housing authority is to help people uh, temporarily deal with poverty and then get out of it, there was actually multiple generations of people who just grown up there. Uh, They they know nothing else. They, They just grow up in this cycle of poverty, unable to get out. And it was really interesting to see the way that they thought about money. And one of the main things that that they saw in money and in themselves is that uh, particularly regarding God, that God really doesn't like them a whole lot. Because if God did like them, then he would bless them and help them get out of poverty. That was their thought, that, that God has less favor on them and therefore that they are less valuable to him. And so God does not want them. Another lie that they would believe is that outside of money, they had absolutely no security in their lives. They would say that, you know, if I, if I just had this much, if I could just get one more payday loan, if I could just get this much money, I would be set for life. And we would all know that no matter how much money you have, you're never really going to be happy from it. And yet... They would believe this, and then they would all wrap this up and say that their economic situation defined who they were as people. That, that they believed this lie that, that because they are poor, that was a defining characteristic of who they were as people. So that's the lies that the people that I have met um, believed about being economically lacking, being lowly. And yet there's also lies that our rich brothers and sisters believe as well. And I've, I've actually had the opportunity to meet some of them as well. And here's a, a few lies that, that someone from this side might believe that God greatly favors me because I have all of this material blessing right? It's it's easy to believe that if your life is comfortable, that God is having favor on you, and therefore you have nothing for which you need forgiveness. Because of course, God wouldn't give me all of these things unless I was doing it the right way. So there's this assumption here that you are good, and therefore God is giving you all these things, that their wealth, the second lie, ensures that Their security, that all of their security in life is wrapped up in the amount of money that's in their bank account. That they know that they're going to be comfortable in life, that no problem that they deal with can't be solved without enough money. They have it. They're able to do it. And then finally, in the same way as those who are poor, they would say that my wealth is my identity. There their identity and who they are is wrapped up in the amount of money in their bank account and really no matter what side we're talking about either the lowly or the rich the main lie that both believe is that money is supreme that's the lie of the world the wisdom of the world says That money is supreme, no matter what. Power can be bought. Happiness can be bought. Comfort can be bought. All you need is enough money. All you need to do is sacrifice enough to get enough money, and your life will then become perfect because you have enough. That is the lie of money. And it is the line that our world has bought into hook, line, and sinker. Everything in our culture from politics to economics to the way that we go and, and live and spend time with our family, a lot of it has to do with money. Uh, we have the holidays coming up, right? And, and I was talking to some of you earlier And said that you know, for some reason, we have really been on top of it this year and got all of our Christmas shopping done already. And normally we're the kind of people who are like, oh yeah, Christmas is tomorrow. We should probably go take care of that and get it all taken care of. But uh, we we said you know we're going to go up to Lubbock and we're just going to get all our shopping done in one day. And we did, and it was. Amazing. And it's been really interesting to, to think about all of the conversations that Kristen and I have had about money and Christmas. Uh, we're, we're, when we think about Christmas, we, we haven't really been talking about you know, how we're going to spend time with family. We've been talking about how much money do we have and are we going to be able to buy enough for everyone. It's even in those small ways that, that, are, that we have bought into This idea that that money is supposed to be the driving factor in the holidays, right? And so we have bought into this lie that money is supreme and that if we could just get enough of it, that we would have enough, that our life would be then taken care of. And so then being poor is seen as something to be avoided at all costs and that to be poor, you have either done something wrong You have uh, not made the right choices or you are just not worth having enough money and therefore you're worth less than people that do. And we see this a little bit in in the way that our news talks about the poor sometimes. You know, there's many factors that can make someone poor, but often what you hear is that they are only poor because they didn't work hard enough. That's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. It's not true. It's not why everyone is poor. That's why a lot of people are poor, but it's not why everyone is. It's it's part of the lie. And then we also hear when we think about people of note, people that we remember, we remember the names of the people who haven't necessarily accomplished great things, but the people who have the most money, like Jeff Bezos, Billy, uh, not Billy Graham. <laughs> Uh, the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. We don't remember these people because they have accomplished a lot, we remember them because they have a lot of money. And we're trained to see those people as people that we need to emulate because we believe that they have achieved something great, that they have these perfect lives, and yet when you look at their lives, they're not great. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are now divorced, and yet they're some of the richest people in the world. There are so many lawsuits happening right now with Amazon to try to, to attack uh, that company. Um, Apple is, is the first business in the world to be a trillion dollar business and yet their whole business model revolves around enslaving people to looking at a device more than looking at people face to face and designing algorithms and gadgets designed to keep you focused here so that you like it so much that you're willing to put down a thousand dollars for a new phone and then a couple grand more for all of the things that go with it It's all around money. And this is the lie of the culture, of the world, that money is supreme, that money is God, and if I have enough, I can be God too. That is the lie. And so we see James then looking at money looking at christians in these little house churches who he's sending this letter to and in every one of these churches there are poor people and there are rich people and he addresses both of them and say you should both boast and have nothing to do with your money but you should boast in christ because of what he has done for you so let's look then and see how james then asks us to see God's wisdom and to view uh, being lowly and being rich rightly. Starting with the lowly, he says that the lowly should boast in their exaltation. And so in that, the first thing that we need to address is that when James is talking about lowly brothers and sisters, he's not just talking about the amount of money that they have. When he says lowly brother, he's talking about not just a poor person, but someone who is spiritually poor. When someone is poor in spirit, what that means is that they live every day in reliance on God. They don't live in reliance on themselves or what they can do. They rely on the power of God. Uh, When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go to Albania. Um, for a mission trip. And it was really amazing to see um, what was happening in, in Tehran, the capital of Albania. Uh, at the time, there was only about 20 Christians in the whole city. And so we got to go and, and meet with, with this small group of Christians and share the gospel with Muslims um, in the city and hold a camp for all these kids And what was really interesting to see was just the complete difference in how the poor are in Albania versus here. So one of the things that really shocked me was that uh, in Albania, as you're driving into the city, almost every skyscraper has these giant green arrows pointing one way. And when I asked our uh, interpreter what that was about, he said, oh, that's for the gypsies. Uh, what do you mean? That's for the gypsies. And he said, well, the gypsies are a group of people that live in Albania that we don't like. So we painted all these arrows on our buildings to show them the way out of the city so that they can leave. And we actually got to go visit these gypsy camps, and it's, it's amazing to see the amount of poverty that they live in. They have entire families of, I kid you not, 20 people living in cardboard boxes. They, they've put a whole bunch of cardboard boxes about the size of this stage together. And there's 20 people living inside it. And that's all they have. They, whenever they get money, they get robbed by other Albanians. They, they, they're so mistreated. And so they spend every day looking for food through the trash cans, trying to find enough sustenance for the day. Their five-year-old children get taken and enslaved in all different kinds of ways so that they can make enough money for their family to stay alive. And some of these people became Christians. And it was amazing to talk to them and to hear all of the things that they have to go through just because of how much money they have and who they were. And yet they lived every day joyously because they relied on God. They said (coughs) that they, I remember this conversation, one of them told me that they live every day asking the Lord for their daily bread and believing that God's going to provide it. They live in that kind of situation where they're so reliant on God that they literally are praying For God to provide them their daily bread, whether it be from a trash can or somewhere else. That's the kind of of poverty that they live in. And so that's the kind of poverty that James is talking about here too. 90% of the population at this time was living in in really destitute poverty, with 10% of the population owning all the land, owning all of the money, and running the, the Roman Empire. So 90% of the world are living in this really poverty-stricken state. And so when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, he's saying, let this brother who is so reliant on God for everything in his life to provide for all of his needs, let him boast in the fact that God has exalted him above the place that the world believes they should be. And this exaltation is it twofold one that they are exalted not because of the amount of money that they have or the amount of possessions that they have but because they have jesus see james has a view of jesus that i think that we need to understand is that jesus is worth far more than anything that you and i could ever own he having him is the equivalent of becoming the richest person in the world because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills that he owns everything in the world and so James understands this and says because you have Jesus you are now regardless of your current situation a son or daughter of the king you are royalty and in fact God has exalted you already if you look in the Book of Ephesians, Uh, I can I can show you this. Ephesians two, chapter six. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But but chapter six says or verse six says. uh, Or really starting in verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he's saying now because you have Jesus, your life has been hidden with him and you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, Ephesians actually even begins by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So James has this understanding that even though these people are not living comfortable physical lives, spiritually, they are exalted in the heavens with Jesus, seated with him at his throne, and are his children and royalty. And so he says, poor brother and sister, boast in the fact that you have the Lord Jesus. That he has exalted you far and away above everyone and every And he has brought you into his family so that even though you are poor now, you will not stay that way. You are a son or daughter of the king. So he calls them to boast. And then this goes on then. They don't only exalt in what Christ has done for them now, but that this lowliness that they live now will pass away. They get to live in this hope that God is going to do something about that, that being seated in the heavenly places spiritually now will become a physical thing later. Uh, Revelation uh, 21.4 says that he will wipe away every tear, that all that is sad will become untrue, to paraphrase. Everything that we go through now that causes us pain, that causes us sadness, God will wipe away and we will be with him forever. And he says, lowly brother or sister, you are going through the trial of poverty now and he is using it to make you more like him. But boast in the fact that you have Jesus and boast in the fact that it is a light and momentary affliction. You have eternity ahead of you, an eternity of wealth beyond your belief, not simply because you will have everything physically that you need, but because you have Jesus. So he says, Boast in your exaltation. And then to the rich brother or sister in the church, he says, boast in your humiliation. And right away, we can see the stark difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God here. The wisdom of the world would say you would never boast in the fact that you just lost all your money. In fact, they would seen as as something that is impossible to recover from the, the one of the most major blows that you could ever receive in life is losing all of your finances and so we see God's wisdom moving and showing us that that the rich are to boast in their humiliation and this humiliation doesn't necessarily mean that one that riches are bad uh, nowhere does the scripture say that um, but what it does show us is that we need to see our riches rightly. And, and the fact that we're in America probably means we fall in this category. You know, regardless of, of what your finances may look like, we're, we're pretty rich compared to the rest of the world. And so we need to, to listen to this and, and say that, you know, regardless of, of what our lives look like, we have riches that a lot of people don't. And we need to re- recognize that those riches are going to fade away. That, that the comfort that you and I live in every day of, of having a house, of having running water that's clean, of, of having internet access and being able to come and worship freely without having our church burned down. Like all of these freedoms and, and luxuries that we get to have are passing away. They're transitory. They are not permanent. They are like verse 11, the grass of the field—it's here one day and then it's gone. Uh, I, I think we can really understand this passage because we live in West Texas. Like when it gets hot, everything dies. Uh, I was—I was on Facebook the other day, and one of my friends on there said, "I love West Texas in the fall. Everything turns such a lovely shade of brown." <laughs> it's true. It really is. Everything just kind of goes brown. Because we live in an area that is really highly, um, it's really hot. The weather can be a bit extreme. Even right now, it's really windy. You know, And all those factors together really make beautiful flowers hard to live outside. So they, they need to have a, a specific environment. And, and West Texas just ain't it. Not till spring. So he says that our riches are such that they're going to Pass away. that they Before God, all of our riches have no advantage. Jesus taught a, a parable to his followers and those who were listening about a rich man and another man named Lazarus. Lazarus begged at the gate every day for crumbs and believed in God. And the rich man did not. And while the rich man had all the wealth in the world, when he died... It was not him who was with Jesus. He was in hell. Because all of his riches gave him no advantage before God. And so he calls the rich brother here to boast in the fact that they have been humiliated. That their arrogance toward their security in life. The fact that they're going to have every one of the needs provided for is now seen rightly in the fact that none of those things has anything to do with your standing before God. And he says, boast in the fact that you have been changed by the Holy Spirit where you can now realize this and see that God has, has brought you into his family and it has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have. And so he, he calls them both then to boast. And this, the riches are now seen as transitory, and now the rich person now has the opportunity to view their riches rightly and then store up treasure where it matters most. Not here physically, but in heaven. And that happens in the way that we live toward one another. Jesus said that at the end of the age, when he brings all people together and he separates his followers from everyone else, one of the things that he's going to say to the people is come and, and enjoy your master because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was in prison and you came and visited me and the people will ask God when did we do that and he said whenever you did one of these to the least of these to me we have the opportunity now as rich brothers and sisters to be that kind of people to go and be in solidarity with the poor and and serve them and, and help them and in so doing store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. The Bible is very clear that the actions that you take today have eternal consequences and those actions that we do in obedience to Jesus will result in real reward in heaven that we don't just get to to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever, though that is true, but we actually get reward on top of that. And I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. But scripture gives us that promise that the actions that we take today to build up treasure for ourselves in heaven is real treasure. (laughs) It's real reward that God is going to reward you and I for the way that we live our lives here. And so this is the wisdom of God now for us who are rich, who have... Uh, Being blessed with all of these advantages that we now get to see our treasure for what it really is. To see what's truly of value and then use the things that we have been given for the good of, of God's kingdom and his people. So that then results then in an authentic community in the church. Remember, he's writing to all of these different house churches who've just been scattered by persecution. To these rich brothers and sisters who are now meeting in the same church, wondering what they're supposed to do. And so now, he says that, brothers and sisters, those of you who are poor, you get to now boast in the fact that you have Jesus. This poverty that you have will pass away. Rich brother and sister, you can boast in the fact that you have Jesus. That your wealth will pass away, but that the wealth you have, you can now use to help your lowly brother and sister. So this then results in a kind of community where rich and poor now work together to then bring about God's kingdom in the world. See the off, the we are called to be a kind of countercultural community that reverses the values of the world. We shouldn't be the kind of churches that seat people closer to the front based on the amount of money that you give to the church. I've visited churches like this where your spot is actually determined by the amount of money that you give. It's awful. We shouldn't be that kind of people. God calls us to, to take the values of the world and flip them on its head because of Jesus and then live differently. And this living differently then is that we get to now use our wealth for the good of others and that we can see our lowly brothers and sisters Not as worthless, but of people who are valuable. People who have been loved by God, sharing in His image, and who are just as uh, worth, worth just as much as you and I. Because Jesus has saved them just like He saved us. That they are seated in the heavenly places and that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ So, my warning to us then this morning is to them be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. We have to see our wealth or our poverty rightly. We need the Spirit's power to do this. We have to ask for godly wisdom to see these trials rightly, to see that wealth and poverty are both trials that God is using to make us more like him and that God gives us the responsibility once we have that wisdom to then act rightly in light of it. Wisdom is not wisdom if it just stays in your head. That's just knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge applied to your life. It results in action. So we have to then be wise people living differently As a result, so then let us be wise with how we live. I pray that we do this today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have used everything, including our economic status, to make us more like you. Father, there are those of us in here who don't have a lot, and there are those of us in here who have more than most. Father, I pray that you give us all wisdom and that you would help us to see our finances rightly, that we would take action and boast in the fact that we have you and boast in the fact that we have been exalted far and away above where the world thinks we should be. And that we are now able to see our riches rightly, not following them or following them and seeing um, them as an idol, but as a useful tool to be used for your kingdom. Father, I pray that this week you would give us opportunities to live into that, to be wise with how we live. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, let's have our invitation.